This is Matt Hurd at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter, and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, more of our podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts, and you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer, and finally, you can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer at the minimum rate of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters, or you can support us at the rate of $5 per month in which you will get access to videos that we make um, of immediate reviews of movies that we watch and vlogs of me talking about the coronavirus. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's where you can find us and everything. I'm your host, the aforementioned Matt Hurt, and I have a special episode for the podcast uh, of the podcast for you today. Um, I'm recording solo. And as I record this alone in my apartment in Indianapolis, it is March 18th, 2020 at 10.39 p.m. And uh, <laughs> this is going to sound so cheesy. And I would like to welcome you, dear listener, to the first and for the love of God, hopefully last ever COVID-19 Film Festival. Um, so yeah, so the COVID-19 Film Festival, it's a special event where... I, uh, it's basically me chronicling all the movies that I watch while working from home. And I'm going to be presenting them in podcast form as if it were a film festival that I'm covering because that is what self isolation has done to me. And it's been one day. Uh, so I'm gonna have, I'm really excited for this. I think it'll be a really fun kind of project for the podcast. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Um, I'm gonna have special days that are programmed by the other hosts, uh, quote unquote programmed. Um, and they may Skype in to record. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so, so that's what this episode is. This episode is, uh, opening night and day one. It sounds so dorky, but I'm, I'm actually legitimately really excited about it. So I'll get to more on that later. But for those wandering the desolate wasteland of the future, uh, COVID-19 or the novel coronavirus, uh, is a virus that is currently spreading, uh, respiratory illness, particularly, um, across the country and the world. Uh, symptoms are cough, fever, shortness of breath. Um, I, as I said, I'm recording this from, I'm recording this in Indiana and just to give context for, uh, what's going on. Um, and I'll do this with each one of these episodes, I think. So, um, as of March 17th at 1159 PM, uh, the total number of positive cases of, uh, coronavirus in Indiana, the state of Indiana is 39, uh, that has resulted in two deaths and a total number of 193 people have been, uh, tested. Um, and just to give context of those numbers, um, Let's see, where is it? Okay, of those numbers, one of the deaths have occurred 
here in the county in which I reside, and 11 of the positive cases, 11 of those 39 positive cases are in the county that I reside in. Um, and these are just cases that are confirmed, that have been tested and everything. Um, yeah, and... You know, everything is kind of going crazy. Um, I am currently working from home, which is the impetus for this entire project that I'm doing here. Basically, my company uh, that I work for has been uh, – has basically sent home as many people as they can to work from home during this whole thing. Um, Unfortunately, I'm one of the ones that are able to work from home. So basically what is happening is that I am currently working from home in my full-time job. And during that time, I am fortunate enough to be able to just have movies playing in the background uh, as I work. Uh, today was very productive, um, uh, both in terms of movies watched and actual work and everything. So that's what the impetus is for this series of episodes that I'm doing. So um, yeah, I'll get to the actual quote-unquote film festival now. By the way, I'm naming it the COVID-19 Film Festival with O-V, like, capitalized in it and the other letters in COVID-19, like, uh, wow, lowercase. Um, (laughs) I just, I really hope people appreciate that. I felt like that was really clever, but it doesn't come across in an audio format. (laughs) So it's kind of dumb to have it for an audio podcast, but... Uh, but I was still proud of it nonetheless. So in terms of the actual coronavirus and COVID-19 and everything, um, uh, as I said, I'm recording this Wednesday night, March 18th, 2020. Uh, Trump signed a bill for relief for the economy or something. Something I think it's like a, a stimulus package or something. And I, I don't know. It's something. But in terms of entertainment, <laughs> entertainment news, um, first of all, Idris Elba, um, had had tested positive for it, uh, for, uh, COVID-19. And I just want to share a Reddit comment that I saw where there was a a whole chain of Reddit comments that were just golden. But one of them was, I really hope that he coughs into his elbow. Um, cause it's Idris Elba and elbow. Anyway, um, this (laughs) in the headline (laughs) and the headline I'm about to read. Have you heard about this headlines? Um, JLo. Anyway, uh, the (laughs) the headline I'm about to read is just like, it's, it's funny to me. I don't know. The headline is Jared Leto just learned about the uh, coronavirus pandemic after a 12 day desert meditation trip, (laughs) which sounds like the most like, I don't know. I don't know if I would say the most Jared Leto thing, but it seems like the most like a uh, celebrity thing, I guess. I I don't know. But anyway, um let's go on to the actual film festival. So COVID-19, oh, speaking of film festivals, yeah, like I said, everything is shutting down. Um let me talk about this cuz I only talked about this in the Patreon video that I did. So movie theaters have shut down entirely. Um AMC, Regal, I think Cinemark um, they've shut down everything. So this is insanity to me because AMC has like 630 theaters, I think across the country. 
And they shut down every single one of them. And they have said that they're going to shut down for 6 to 12 weeks. Like, at most, that's three months without movies in in the movie theater. Um, Which is just crazy to me. And there are a bunch of movies that are being dropped on VOD. uh, Like The Hunt, Emma... Oh, oh, what is the other one I was thinking of? Oh, no, Bloodshot is next week. Uh, Friday is The Hunt, Emma, and The Invisible Man are coming to VOD on Friday. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's crazy. And movies are getting pushed back and every, pushed back and everything. Um, we talked about it in the previous episode, but everything has gone just crazy since then, crazier since then. So the anecdote that I want to share that I shared on the Patreon video, which by the way, if you pledge $5 on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, you get access to videos. Um, that we record after seeing movies and stuff. So I recorded one last night on a whim, just kind of introducing this whole vlog aspect of the coronavirus self-isolation that I'm doing because of working from home and everything. Uh, it's, I watched it. Uh, it's entertaining. Um, I think you guys will like it. But anyway, um, the anecdote that I shared on that is that in high school, I worked at a movie theater for about three months and this was back in, I think 2000, oh, it was summer of 2004. Um, I remember that because that's when Spider-Man two came out and they put me behind the concession stand on like my first weekend where Spider-Man two was coming out and I had no idea what to do. I was a nervous ball of anxious energy and, uh, I had no clue what I was doing. Anyway, um, I remember like one day there being like a really bad thunderstorm. Like it was, it was really intense and, um, just like it was, it was terrible. And I remember asking one of the managers at the movie theater, like, is there any chance that we're going to like close the theater so that we can go home? Um, and everything. Cause obviously no one was there. It was like, it was like inclement weather. It was, it was really, really intense. Um, and he said, no, there's no way that we're going to shut down. The only day that I've ever known the movie theater to shut down entirely was 9-11. And that was for one day because no one was at the movie theater, obviously. And just like keeping that in mind and then extrapolating that to now, like not to compare this to 9-11, obviously, but just the idea of theater chains shutting down entirely. Um, it's just, it's insanity that like, this is what is happening. I, it's just such an interesting time right now. And I've said before, and I'll say it again later in this episode, but I am very curious what kind of movies and TV and documentaries, what, what kind of art is going to be created out of this experience, this shared experience that we as a community of human beings are experiencing at the current time. Um, and also what kind of art is being created during it um like my dumbass is making podcasts and everything but um like the 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 big thing that's been going around the twitter sphere is uh you know uh shakespeare wrote king lear when he was uh quarantined because of the plague or something like that um so it's very interesting i'm very interested to know what kind of art is going to be made uh during and after this whole thing um but for now, for me, I've got a film festival to run. Um, so, oh, that's the whole reason why I didn't go into the actual episode. So, uh, speaking of film festivals and stuff, like, I mean, they're sh- shutting down. Like, like there's no film festivals. Um, South by Southwest, we talked about it, got canceled, but they are doing jury screenings online and they're going to be doing like awards and everything. Um, 
in lieu of it. And I think another film festival is doing a similar thing. But uh, I do want to mention locally here that Indie Film Fest, which was supposed to be the end of April into early May, uh, they have postponed to uh, August. And uh, no word yet on Heartland Film Festival, which isn't until October. So hopefully everything is like shakes out by then and their shorts program is in July. So hopefully everything shakes out, uh, for them. Um, like hopefully everything passes before then. Um, also just shout out to them. Uh, check out, uh, uh, Heartland film, uh, happy hour, their podcast. It's really great. Um, they're going to, they're also doing this, uh, um, blog, uh, series where they are basically like giving suggestions for streaming content, uh, while people are self-isolated and quarantined and everything. So check that out, uh, heartlandfilm.org. Um, they have all the stuff there. So, um, yeah, uh, I think that's about it for all that stuff. Oh, the whole movie theater thing. It's just, it's crazy. Oh, and the, the whole fact that movies are being postponed and everything like I, like what is like the summer movie season may be dead in the water right now. Um, cause I don't like, there's no telling when this is going to end. AMC saying six to 12 weeks before they reopen. Um, who knows what the world is going to be like in six to 12 weeks at this point. And that's not really hyperbole. That's just like, literally, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how, like what, what is on the horizon for, for us as movie fans and everything. So if there's no summer movie season, like fast, uh, fast nine, um, got postponed to next year, uh, which is crazy to me. Um, and then, uh, a black widow got postponed, obviously just, just recently got postponed and everything. But I mean, like bond was postponed to November. Like how many movies that are scheduled to come out in 2020 are going to come out in the fall or winter, like fall or late fall of 2020 after all this blows over, like are like, how like it's going to be it could potentially be just complete insanity or early 2021 is not going to be the doldrums of the movie theater it's going to be like a new era of it until the it equalizes and everything like all of the prestige movies are going to come out at like everything's going to be kind of jostled in in terms of when things get released um, so it's a very interesting time. I'm very curious what's going to happen, but let's go on to the COVID-19 film festival. The first and for the love of God, hopefully only COVID-19 film festival. So, so, uh, I, okay. Uh, so basically what is happening is that I'm working from home and while working from home, I'm watching movies, uh, while also working. I was very diligent in my work today and everything. So, uh, I started, I, I'm pr- basically presenting this as if it is a film festival. So bear with me in this dorky creep, <laughs> not creepy, but dorky and weird kind of presentation of it. But, uh, the opening night film of COVID-19 film festival, uh, sponsored by obsessiveviewer.com, um, <laughs> was the 2019, uh, horror thriller crawl. So that's the opening night film, just not for any particular reason. Like I didn't attach any significance to it. I just saw that 
Uh, it basically was only it was available to rent on Vudu for only ninety nine cents, and it's also available to rent on Amazon for ninety nine cents. And that's one of the things that I'm going to go going forward. This is what I'm going to attempt to do for most of these movies that I talk about in turn in the context of this COVID nineteen film festival. Is that all of these movies are going to be streamable on any number of the streaming services. I have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO Go, um, Shutter, Criterion Channel, Canopy, and I think I'm forgetting one, maybe, I don't know, but, oh, Disney Plus. <laughs> so I have all these streaming services. So all these movies are going to be available to stream somewhere or going to be available to rent fairly cheap, I hope. So Crawl is available for 99 cents as of this recording, so check it out. Um, yeah, so here we go. So the plot summary courtesy of IMDb is a young woman, while attempting to save her father during a Category 5 hurricane, finds herself trapped in a flooding house and must fight for her life against alligators. Uh, Crawl was directed by Alexander uh, Aha Aja. Um and written by Michael Rasmussen and Sean Rasmussen. It stars Kaya Scudelario and Barry Pepper. Um, this movie got a lot of love in terms of just social media love. And uh, I think Mike, uh, did Mike speak highly of it? Or did he not? did he not see it? I don't remember. But anyway, it's right up his alley. So, um, I picked it as opening night film for COVID-19 Film Festival, specifically because for no other reason than I had rented it on Vudu for 99 cents. And if I didn't watch it last night, I was not going to, I was probably going to let it just, you know, go away and <laughs> having not watched it in 30 days. So there's no significance to it being the opening night film, except for that I watched it the night before my first day of working from home. Um, during this, uh, coronavirus outbreak. So, Crawl. This was a decent movie. Um, uh, decent is too harsh. It was, it was a solid movie, a very kind of fun and, and intense, um, like fun in terms of intensity, I should say, um, monster movie. And it, it I mean, it owes a great debt to Jaws, obviously, but it's, uh, does, it does its own thing. I mean, it is very much a contained, uh, claustrophobic monster movie, essentially. Um, I rated it three stars out of five. So basically, Crawl was, it had some issues I, I found with it. First of all, on a positive note, the, the weather effects, the visual effects of the, of the weather, like, like the plot description said, it takes place during a category five hurricane. Um, I am such a sucker for well, well done, well rendered, uh, weather effects. I think this goes back to like 1996 when I saw, I think it was 96 or 95 when I saw Twister for the first time. And like that movie just blew me away. No pun intended because of tornadoes, but, um, I just, I, and I, I'm, when I was a kid, I was just fascinated by meteorology and everything, and in particular, tornadoes and everything. So seeing this movie depict 
uh, a hurricane throughout its entire duration, the entire movie takes place during this hurricane, uh, was a real treat for me. And I have experience living through hurricanes, one hurricane in particular. Um, when I was a kid, I lived in Florida during the, uh, during Hurricane Andrew. Um, I think it was in 94, 93, I don't know. But anyway, um, lived in Florida, Hurricane Andrew, stayed up pretty much all night with my mom while she was watching the news. And uh, also during the eye of the hurricane, we went outside and kind of looked around and everything. It was very eerie and calm. And that memory just kind of stuck with me. So um, seeing a hurricane depicted on film uh, was pretty satisfying. And the way that they depicted it in uh, crawl was very satisfying to me. Um, there's a, I, I, there's just a nice bit of care taken to the set design, um, in terms of like flooding water and, and kind of the, the time, uh, the ticking time bomb aspect of it, where the water is filling in this crawl space where, where this father and his daughter are trapped. Like it's slowly rising, but it's not too, it's not too on the nose in terms of, um, the dramatic effect of it. Like they're not playing, uh, playing it up to a dramatic effect. Cause there's already enough drama going on. Like there's enough suspense to sustain you, but do you have in the back of your mind? Like, Oh shit. Like the water is rising. Like they're, they are trapped. I like they're in a very tough spot. Um, so that was really good. Um, I will say that the visual effects of the um, alligators in particular, um, a little bit unrefined for me, for my tastes. Um, there were moments where it really felt like it was just a notch above really good, or uh, uh, just a notch above that that really cheesy sci-fi channel type of CGI creatures and everything. And there was something to like the way that the alligators moved just felt slightly unnatural. Like I think that I think that the intention was to showcase how fast they are, which uh, alligators are really fast. But I think that in depict that like they didn't strike that medium or they didn't strike that sweet spot where it shows them being like fast swimmers and fast like fast moving creatures in water like they didn't strike that with, they didn't complement that with like a realistic approach at it. Like they were more concerned with showing the speed rather than having it be like looking authentic. That's the impression that I got. And while, yeah, it is effective to see that it also just feels like, okay, like so like every other aspect of this movie is being played, played straight and played to the height of suspense and drama and everything. But this one aspect just really makes me think of like low budget sci-fi channel like creature features that are by like their own account are meant to be more just goofy fun um, action and suspense rather than anything really uh, substantial. I'm thinking like obviously the the uh, the go-to one would be Sharknado, like that type of thing. It's not, it's not that bad. Like, it's not like that cheesy over the top thing, but just, it just feels like in some places that it just, it just feels like they're not rendered right. Um, and that kind of took me out of the movie a little bit because otherwise, like, like it didn't, it didn't bother me too much throughout it. However, it did just feel like, it felt like, if this was a more cheesy or over the top movie, then I would have been all for it and I would have been along for the ride. But this movie was played straight and that, uh, was the biggest kind of, uh, 
struggle that I had with the movie. Um, yeah, and I I don't know. So, Al, uh, Alexander uh, Aha uh, Aja, I guess um, I keep saying Aha. Um, anyway, he uh, previously directed um, Piranha 3D. So, and and I kind of feel like that's the type of movie that I would expect that level of CGI to be employed. Um, and however, I mean, like it's also I'm sure that the budget was probably pretty low. So, I mean, you have to make concessions somewhere. So it didn't really, it didn't take me out of the movie too much, but it was noticeably, it was noticeable, um, throughout the movie. Um, there are some really cool scares and, and jumps made throughout the movie. Um, throughout that first like five or 10 minutes, I kept thinking, Man, it would have been so freaking cool if I would have went into this movie and I I'm going to apologize to all the listeners if I had gone into this movie not knowing that it was about alligators because the movie does a really good job of setting up this um setting up the scenario that leads to their entrapment in the crawl space. Um, like throughout it, I was thinking like, okay, well I know what's going on because of the trailers and everything and knowing the plot, but the character doesn't know what she's walking into. And like when we see, like when the, when the pieces come together and like we see like uh, her dad's injury when she finds him, like, it's like, Oh, that's, that's a big moment where it's like, oh my God, okay, yeah, the, she's in for a pretty tough time. <laughs> and the movie is very violent I, it, in kind of a good way, like kind of a satisfactory way. Um, there's a lot of um, there's a, there's a lot of alligator eating, like eating people stuff to it. And some of it is a little, a little contrived, like, Oh, we're going to introduce these characters just for fodder for the alligators. But, um, I do feel like that element of it was a little bit, uh, apropos because it, it did feel kind of organic. Um, and I don't want to give the movie too much credit, but also feels a little bit, um, like a commentary on like the, uh, some of the criminal behavior, criminal behavior, some of the mob think, um, trying to be diplomatic about it, the looting and everything that happened like during Katrina and everything. I'll say that. So, um, anyway, the movie, it's only an hour and 27 minutes long. Like I said, it's 99 cents to rent pretty much. Hopefully I think across the board, um, I got it on voodoo. Um, satisfactory movie, very, uh, good use of tension, very good visual effects for the weather effects and everything. And, uh, you know, honestly, I would say it was a pretty solid opening night film for COVID-19 film festival. The first and for the love of God, hopefully last ever COVID-19 film festival sponsored by obsessiveviewer.com. So, uh, like I said, I rated that three stars on Letterboxd, which by the way, you can follow me on Letterboxd at obsessive viewer. And yeah, let's go into day one of COVID-19 film festival with the OV and COVID-19 capitalized and the other other letters lowercase because I am so stupid. <laughs> so uh, as I've been saying for the past however long I've been recording, I'm too afraid to look at the recorder to see the time. Um, I am working from home now, uh, for the foreseeable future. I don't know how long that's going to take or how long that's going to be. I don't, I don't know, but, um, I had the privilege of being able to sit on my couch, do my work on my laptop and have movies play on my TV in front of me. So I'm going to run down day one of COVID-19 film festival. Now in future installments of this podcast series, my hope is that I will have 
days where I have movies that have been quote unquote programmed by the other co-hosts of the podcast. Um, I have the lineups for Tiny's picks, Mike's picks. Um, I need to contact Kirsten, Ben, and Fekus as well. Which, by the way, Fekus got promoted at work, so congratulations, Fekus. Um, so anyway, today was just a regular, just I'll pick something um, on one of the various streaming services and watch it. Um, and this was interesting because since I'm working from home and I'm I'm doing this while working from home, um, I did not have the luxury of spending 90 minutes going through Netflix or Hulu trying to pick something. Like, um, I had, I took a, like, short, like, two minute break from my work to scroll through Netflix or Hulu or what, what have you, specifically to find something as quickly as possible that I would, I felt like watching. So that was an interesting challenge for me. So the first movie that I watched, um, for COVID-19 Film Festival, uh, with the O and V capitalized in the other letters, lowercase, was an independent dramedy from 2017 called The Year of Spectacular Men. I think it's over. You can never trust a guy who has 20 of the same shirt in the same color. Your post-breakup, your pre-real world. Why don't you take the year for yourself? You're a millennial, you can try the whole, like, having fun in your 20s thing. Smooth move. I bet you get a lot of girls in their backs every day. I'll work on that one somewhere. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's a 2018 movie. Uh, the year of spectacular men, uh, plot summary is store, the story of Izzy Klein, a young woman fresh out of college as she strikes up and ruins relationships with several men and struggles to navigate the failures of post college adulthood, leaning on her mother and older sister for support. Um, so like I said, it's an independent dramedy directed by Leah Thompson of Back to the Future fame and written by one of her daughters, Madeline Deutsch. And starring, uh, writer and daughter of the director, um, Madeline Deutsch and Zoe Deutsch, um, who has had a very good, Zoe Deutsch has had a very good, uh, last couple of years. She was in Set It Up and, uh, oh, she just got, um, oh, The Politician on Netflix, I think. Um, yeah, so, I mean, she's having a very good, uh, run, uh, currently, uh, co-starring in the movie is Jesse Bradford and Brandon T. Jackson. Um, so this movie, I kind I stumbled upon it. It's available on Hulu, by the way. Um, it is Leah Thompson's first film as a director. And so I, I picked this movie because I saw Zoe, I, I, I saw Zoe Deutsch on the, uh, on the kind of poster or the, uh, the, the still that was on Hulu. So I was like, Oh, Zoe Deutsch. I like her. So press play. And, uh, I started it like a half an hour before I had to start work. So that was kind of cool. Anyway, uh, the movie's fine. It's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's a passable independent dramedy. Um, I think it's really cool that Leah Thompson, um, got an opportunity to direct her daughters in a movie, uh, a movie, uh, that one of them happened to write the screenplay for. Um, it, it has flourishes. It has moments throughout it where there are flourishes of like strong dialogue and, and interesting dialogue scenes between characters. But 
I don't want to, I, I want to stop just short of saying that those sequences are few and far between because they do happen like almost regularly throughout the movie. But the other times where it's, it just feels just a little bit forced and a little bit just like something isn't clicking. I don't, I don't think it's Madeline, uh, Deutsch's performance because she's also the star of the film, um, as Izzy. And, I, I I feel like there there's maybe a slight disconnect between her and her character. And I feel weird saying that because it's a character that she wrote and uh, I, I don't know. It just, something didn't click with me there. Um, as the movie progresses, cause like the movie does take, um, I, as the title implies, the, uh, the year of spectacular men, it takes place over the course of a year and there's a lot of change up throughout the movie. There's a lot of ch- like changes to Izzy's life as the movie goes on. Like she gets into relationships or one night stands and, and she has uh backslides with an ex and stuff like, and it's, it's all very, it feels kind of true to life to an extent, except for the, setups of them so like the actual like relationship stuff like the like she enters into a into a a relationship with with a man played by brandon t jackson and like that the way that that relationship plays out and everything is is interesting and compelling and everything um but it's the setup of it that just feels just a little bit weird like they just bump into each other and it's very like corny romantic comedy thing which usually works for me but just did not do it for me here it was like okay now she met her next guy not to not to slut shame or anything i'm not doing that at all i'm just saying like okay we're done with this character so now she's just going to literally stumble stumble upon this this next character and like that's kind of part and parcel throughout her whole arc um there is another element of the movie that felt a little peculiar and and not for the reason why it's going to sound. So um the movie really um pays extraordinarily heavy homage to the work of like Woody Allen. Um in particular um like kind of like Annie Hall. Like it there's like interstitial and also like like also um uh it's not exclusive to Woody Allen because it's it's also paying homage to um Oh my God. When Harry met Sally, um, and the movies that, uh, <laughs> that have ripped, uh, ripped it off for that. The reason I'm saying this and making this comparison is because throughout the movie, there are weird, like documentary esque talking heads, which with all of the men, um, it's kind of disconnected from the rest of the movie. It's kind of weird. It does have very much that Woody Allen, like Annie Hall, like vibe, um, and also like the couples, uh, interviews and everything. And, in, in, uh, when Harry met Sally, I'm like 99% sure that that's in Harry, when Harry met Sally. Uh, cause I know that it was also aped for, um, was it in love actually? I think. Yeah, I think so. And also he's just not that into you. It's, it's, it's a common plot device for romantic dramas and romantic comedies. So the way it's utilized here, I honestly, I, I kind of thought like, is this, is this setting, is this setting things up to where she's like dead or something? Like, like I was kind of like, part of me was kind of expecting like a tragic end to the movie. Um, it didn't, it doesn't get to that point. Um, but it does feel just kind of, just kind of weird and, and out of balance with, with the rest of the movie. Um, so that, that was kind of strange. Um, 
Jesse Bradford plays her ex and he's like for half the movie he's pretty uh interesting i guess would be the word um their relationship dynamic and the fallout of their their breakup and everything is interesting and everything but then like there's a turn late in the movie where it's like he does a 180 and like there's a constant like an undercurrent of like, oh, uh, you're the crazy one in this breakup, or no, you're the crazy one in this breakup, and that just feels a little bit. I don't want to say tacky, but it feels just kind of. It just it feels like unnecessary. It feels like it's unnecessarily vicious, or it's it's dramatic for, um, for plot's sake rather than like actual commentary on on relationships and everything. Um, I do want to highlight an actor uh avon uh uh i'm gonna butcher this jogia or hogia uh he plays sebastian who is um zoe deutsch's uh boyfriend uh zoe deutsch plays sabrina in the movie sabrina is izzy's older sister and she is a successful actress and um her boyfriend sebastian is a successful actor so Izzy stays with them for, for an extended period of time. And I really, what I really liked about the Sebastian character was that he is like, like it's, it's just, it's really like, he's really warm and supportive throughout the movie. And it's, it's a very interesting, um, uh, performance on, on his part, because it just feels like he goes the extra effort. The character goes the extra effort to, to be, caring and everything it was just it was just an interesting kind of sense of security throughout it um there is a turn in the movie in in, i won't spoil it or anything that there is a turn in the plot i would say that um that plays into like the entire family dynamic and leah thompson plays their mother by the way um and i wish that that was more focused and that was more the focal point of the movie like i was very much more compelled by the uh dramatic turns of leah thompson's characters and zoe deutsch's character um like their dramatic turn kind of halfway through the movie um worked for me a lot more than izzy's kind of uh I don't want to say sexual awakening, but relationship awakening. Um, now the way that it works out is that it, the movie kind of needs that first half of being all about Izzy and her struggles with, with men, uh, in order to have her pivot into a different role in the, in the second half of the movie. And it works as a, as a whole piece. I just think that the, uh, family dynamic and the way that, um, certain events kind of turn, things on their head was much more compelling than, than what we got beforehand and, uh, in the closing moments of the movie also. Um, yeah, so it's fine. It's, it's a passable, um, independent romantic drama, um, or romantic dramedy, I should say. Um, it is funny in parts. It is. Um, and it's weird because like I, there's like a very important character that I didn't even reference here because he shows up late and I don't think he's, really painted as that important really um so that's kind of another dig at the movie but um i mean it's an independent dramedy check it out it's on hulu it's the most uh the year of spectacular men um it's worth checking out um especially because it's an independent movie um i you know i have an affinity for those 
So next up in COVID-19 um, Film Festival is a more apropos movie. Uh, it is 1995's Outbreak. Your town is being quarantined. We got 19 dead. We got 100 more infected. It's spreading like a brush fire. What are you talking about? If one of them's got it, then 10 of them have got it now. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, we have a very interesting problem. If that bug gets out of there, 260 million Americans will be dead or dying. I'm leaving with the team in an hour. From the heart of a small California town. Damn it, Sam. I want to stay as cheap as Sam as you. To the inner circle of power in Washington. The most optimistic projection for the spread of the virus is this. 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours. The greatest medical crisis of all time. We can't stop it. Begins. So, outbreak, um... <laughs> Yeah, this movie. Um, okay, so plot summary courtesy of IMDb is Army doctors struggle to find a cure for a deadly virus spreading throughout a California town that was brought to America by an African monkey. Um, the movie stars Dustin Hoffman, Renee Russo, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey, Cuba Gooding Jr., Donald Sutherland. Like, it, it's a very stacked cast. Uh, directed by Wolfgang Peterson and written by Lawrence Dewaret and Robert Roy Poole. Um, this movie is available to stream on Netflix. And, you know, I didn't like it that much. Um, my letterboxed review was Ross Geller's monkey Marcel causes an outbreak of a deadly virus. Um, and I wrote more, but I'll talk about it as uh, I go on to the review. I rated it two stars on letterboxd, two out of five stars. Um, outbreak is very much steeped in a nineties aesthetic. Um, app, uh, appropriately so since it was made in 1995 but it hasn't aged well in that regard it's very much a product of the 90s which ordinarily feels maybe a little bit nostalgic to me or it triggers like a nostalgia in me um when i'm watching it but this it just didn't work for me this time around um it's a peculiar case because and i don't know how much of like me being in this situation, like the world being in this situation has kind of colored my expectations of, of movies of this, of this nature. But this was made in 1995 and there are so many just really like melodramatic moments. Um, and I'll talk later about contagion and the differences, uh, between this movie and that movie, but this movie does not like there's, there's nothing in outbreak that, makes me think that they that the filmmakers believed that the audience would believe that an outbreak would occur <laughs> um like there are so many leaps in logic and and in situations like they have the quintessential or the the uh required scene of the virus spreading and it's not necessarily like like those long passages in the stand where captain trips is infecting everyone Instead, it's just like little bits and pieces of it's almost an assembly of just a comedy of errors of just stumbling like human error all over the place. And it's so like, I'll give you one example that made me like laugh out loud. Um, one of the, one of like, I guess technically he's patient zero in the movie. Um, he's on a plane clearly like just 
dripping with sweat, face red. Like uh, that's another thing I'll get into maybe a little bit later. But the makeup effects did were not were not up to snuff in any regard. Like it looks, I mean, it looks really just really haphazard in terms of makeup design. And I, I, that it took me out of the movie. It just, it really just felt just not authentic. Um, so patient zero is on a plane and he's clearly like exhibiting symptoms of a flu like, uh, illness. Like it is very much heavy handed and he takes a bite of a cookie and he sets it down <laughs> on the tray in the empty, uh, in front of the empty seat next to him. And you see this very cute little boy dressed up like a cowboy. He's walking up and down the aisles. Uh, like one of the passengers says something like, say something like, Oh, I don't want to get arrested or whatever. Or like playing, like playing with the kid. And the kid stops at patient zero's seat and he looks at the cookie with a bite mark on it, like a, like a bite, ta- bite taken out of it. And he's like, excuse me, mister, are you going to finish that cookie? And like, okay, I get that that is a situation that could happen. Like kids, they don't think about this kind of thing. And like the kid is obviously like he's a very, like a very confident kid. Like he, cause he's, you know, cosplaying on, on a, a, a flight. Um, so like, I, I get that, but my issue with it and the reason why I laughed at it was because the movie is building it up as if like, oh my God, the kid's going to eat the cookie and he's going to get sick and die. Like this is going to happen. It's like, there is like, there's no way, like, first of all, why would patient zero even like, and I don't remember if he says, if he's like, yeah, go ahead and take it or whatever. Um, I don't know if he does or not, but I think if he does, my brain has blocked it out because that is the most asinine thing like a person could possibly do. Like if you think you have the flu or some like some kind of illness, like don't give some strange kid a cookie that you just contaminated. Like that like that that's even like uh that's more common sense than than common sense, if that makes sense. Um, just really asinine. And then there are like other, like there's a, a montage of scenes where it's like, where it's like a guy, a guy working in a lab, um, is, is distracted by a, a, um, a basketball game on the radio and accidentally like cuts his finger. And it's like the most like, it's the most like, Oh, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to cut my finger. I'm on accident kind of thing. It's, it's very goofy. Um, so, so yeah, so, so the way the virus spreads, it is, it wasn't satisfactory to me. It wasn't depicted in a satisfactory manner. The other thing that I really didn't like about the movie is that so much of the drama, like you get like dramatic moments sprinkled throughout it. Um, so much of those dramatic moments, the tension of those moments, it's like they are so much dependent on the score. Um, and James Newton Howard did the score for the movie and it's uh, like, I like his work and everything, but I mean, it's, it's a generic score. There's a moment where a character is potentially exposed to the virus. And like the idea of a character being exposed to this virus that has a 100% mortality rate, um, at this moment in time in the movie, like that is enough, like danger. And that is enough, um, 
suspense to really like get your blood blood pumping and everything. But it's kind of ruined because it comes like when it happens, it's just like a very loud and bombastic piece of score. That's like, it is the most nineties, like, Oh my God, this thing just happened. Kind of score kind of, kind of moment. It's, it's just very much like rudimentary kind of like hand holding. It's, it's like they don't think the audience is smart enough to realize that this person's suit getting ruptured in a lab is going to cause death potentially. Um, so they need the score to really heighten it. And it's just, it's really goofy and doesn't work for me. Um, finally, kind of, uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but kind of toward the end of the movie, it turns into uh, a race against the clock, which is fair. I mean, it's the type of movie that kind of uh, needs that kind of energy, I guess. But it's also kind of just hamstrung by this like whole, like, oh, we need to go against the against the uh, rules of the military brass to get this to get this so that we can save everyone. It just kind of can, it's kind of contrived and just didn't really work for me. So yeah, I don't know. Your mileage may vary. It is, uh, it is, um, streaming on Netflix. It is, can, uh, not contagion, but it is, uh, uh, outbreak from 1995. And that was movie two of day one of COVID-19 film festival sponsored by obsessiveviewer.com. Uh, next up we have the edge of 17 from 2016 and here's a clip from the trailer there are two types of people in the world the people who naturally excel at life golden boy what's up and the people who hope all those people die in a big explosion look at that stupid shirt my brother's wearing when i was 13 it was clear which side of the equation i was on are you even up there but that's what best friends are for nick is like right there Juby made him so hot. And I had Krista. Krista! Oh my god! My brother? Seriously? I can't help So, her. plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, is... High school life gets more, even more unbearable for Nadine when her best friend Krista starts dating her older brother. The Edge of Seventeen stars Haley Steinfeld as Nadine, Haley Lou Richardson as Krista... And Blake Jenner as uh, Darian, uh, Kira Sedgwick, Woody Harrelson round out the cast. Uh, written and directed, the movie is <laughs> the movie is written and directed by Kelly Freeman Craig. So, The Edge of Seventeen has been on my radar for quite a while now. I I remember Tiny speaking highly of it. I remember longtime listener uh, Yasmin speaking very highly of it too. Um, and I finally got to it. It only took a global pandemic for me to actually watch this movie. Um, it is available. It is currently available to stream on Netflix. So. I'll go, go right out of the gate. I rated this four out of five stars. I loved The Edge of Seventeen. Um, I am such a sucker for a teen coming of age comedy, uh, drama. It, it just hit all those marks for me. So, first of all, Haley Seinfeld's performance is out of this world. She is so good in this movie. And it, the power of that performance is that this character, Nadine, is such a melodramatic teenager who, throughout the movie, makes the wrong decisions and um, is oftentimes in the wrong in her melodramatic tendencies. Um, the strength of the performance is that even though she is 
constantly in the wrong and she is very often in the wrong you still root for her and you like as the audience as as a viewer of her story she has this presence that makes you want to root for her to get to the bottom of her issues and to get to a place where she can be happy like that is such a like such a tightrope to walk to to play a character that is by all accounts not like on the page she's not likable like she's just not likable she overreacts to things she's melodramatic but not in a not necessarily in a destructive way she's more of a a person who pushes people away and that's something that i personally really identified with and and found a lot of resonance uh with um the movie also does a very good job of depicting um kind of uh i don't want to say low grade but like depicting some form of kind of mental illness like she's clearly a depressed character and she's like she has some some uh, demons that are haunting her, essentially, I, I'll, I'll say. And the kind of charm and the magic of the movie itself is her working that out. Like, the movie makes no... The movie actually lets us watch her work stuff out. Like, she is... Like, the growth of the character from the beginning to the end is so just... So well-drawn. It's it's really remarkable the way that it's it's... It just gradually builds to a moment of... I won't give it away or anything, but just like the, toward the end of the movie, like, like the, the arc that she completes, uh, by movie's end is just so satisfying. Um, and just really, really, uh, really strong. Um, kind of interesting that this movie is similar to an extent with, to, to the year of spectacular men in that it's about a young woman who is, trying to find her place and trying to find, um, trying to work through these weird relationships that she finds herself in. Like the edge of 17 isn't necessarily all about that, but she does have encounters with, with boys, uh, throughout the movie and they each kind of have different effects on her and everything. And it's, it's very much a, uh, an interesting kind of, a more interesting and satisfying arc in the edge of 17 than it was in the year of uh, spectacular men. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Woody Harrelson is good as, um, kind of a, I don't want to say gruff, but kind of a sarcastic teacher who is kind of wise to, she, uh, what I'll say is that Woody Harrelson's character is a teacher who is operating on the same wavelength on the, at times on the same wavelength as, as, uh, as Haley Steinfeld's character, but also he is recognizing the wavelength that she is on. Like she, he is recognizing, like he's a good teacher. He, he can, uh, rec- he recognizes what she has going on and knows how to reach her in a way that other adults in her life don't know how to handle. Um, Kira Sedgwick plays her mother and, I think what I'll say is that seeing this movie after having seen Lady Bird like a year or two ago um, kind of makes it a little harder to judge the mother-daughter dynamic in The Edge of Seventeen, specifically because Lady Bird handled it so just spectacularly well. So I feel like there's a little bit of a, a burden 
to like any movie that depicts a a, a strong mother daughter scenario or or uh, uh, dramatic story. Um, but I won't compare the two. What I'll say is that the Edge of Seventeen's mother daughter dynamic is satisfying and does reach a satisfying um, conclusion by the end of the movie. Um, the way that the stories wrap up is very emotionally satisfying, especially because a lot of it is emotionally cathartic for several characters. Um, it may seem a little neat and to tie it up and everything, um, but it is satisfactory in, in my, in my opinion. Um, something that I did think was a little bit, Weird, and again, I'm invoking other movies, but it kind of, like, in a post-Booksmart world, <laughs> uh, watching this movie now after uh, Booksmart makes it feel like the central, um, the rift between Haley Steinfeld's character and Haley Lou Richardson's character, I feel like that should have been maybe explored a little bit more. Um, but it is explored pretty thoroughly through, uh, Haley Steinfeld's relationship with her brother in, in the movie. Like they, they resolve the tension there a lot, but I do kind of wish that there was something more to those characters, to, to the best friend characters, um, in the movie. However, one of the things that I kind of didn't, I wouldn't say took fault with was that it kind of seems like the way that the characters get out of like their rut of social awkwardness and social, um, <laughs> social distancing as it were, um, is to, to, they find, they find their confidence and they find their, um, their, their social feet, I guess, uh, through relationships with, with guys in, in the movie. And I, I kind of felt like that, I wouldn't say it cheapens their their journeys or their growth as characters. It just feels like it feels like they could have made they could have made a message like, like they could have uh, had a stronger message for for the characters rather than tying everyone down in relationships. Um, but I, with that minor complaint, like a minor quibble uh, aside, it's still a fantastic movie with a really really satisfying and spectacular um performance by Haley Steinfeld. I mean she is she is phenomenal. I'm I'm so excited for uh you know her career and everything and she's had a great career so far. So um yeah, we'll we'll see where she goes from here uh 4 years ago. <laughs> um yeah, so that so that's that's uh The Edge of 17. I rated it 4 stars on Letterboxd. Um, really, really strong movie. I really, really enjoyed it. And those were the movies that I watched while I worked today. <laughs> um, so that's, that's day one of, of, uh, COVID-19 film festival, uh, sponsored by obsessiveviewer.com. Um, but, and I'm hoping that I can do more of these, but I had, <laughs> again, this is so goofy to, to, um, uh, present it as if it were a film festival, but I had a spotlight screening <laughs> of Contagion, uh, from 2011. Um, and when I say spotlight screening, I mean, I watched it after I was off the clock at work and I watched it at home and like after the work day. Um, and also I, I want to kind of, uh, 
signal some importance to some of the movies to differentiate them and everything. So this is kind of the featured, maybe not featured review because my voice is getting a little sore or my throat's getting a little sore and I don't feel like talking that much anymore. <laughs> but it is the most like kind of relevant or interesting movie that I saw of this batch of movies. So my spotlight for day one of uh, COVID-19 Film Festival, sponsored by ObsessedViewer.com, uh, is Contagion. Steven Soderbergh's uh, 2011 uh, epidemic movie, uh, that is getting so much play now. Um, it is not available to stream anywhere that I could find except for Cinemax, I think. So if you have Cinemax as an add on subscription on, uh, Amazon prime, you can get access to contagion. So without further ado, here is the clip from the trailer for contagion. The average person touches their face three to five times every waking minute. In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, and each other. Matt. No, no, uh, uh, go up to your room, honey. So we have a virus with no treatment protocol and no vaccine at this time. You had a seizure this morning, Beth. She had a history of seizures and allergies. As of last night, there were 32 cases. All right, in plot summary from IMDb, healthcare professionals, government officials, and everyday people find themselves in the midst of a pandemic as the CDC works to find a cure. Uh, as I said, the movie was directed by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, writer was Scott Z. Burns, uh, who also did Side Effects, The Bourne Ultimatum. Um, he was a producer on Side Effects, I think. Uh, so yeah, and yes, so the movie stars everyone, uh, Matt Damon, Kate Winslet, uh, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, a bunch of, oh, Lawrence Fishburne, John Hawks, uh, a, a bunch of not noticeable people. Um, so this was a movie that I watched first in 2011, uh, or no, I'm sorry, 2012. And oddly enough, I watched it like March 13th, 2012. So very close to the date, uh, on that. So I watched it eight years ago and I remember not really digging it that much. I kind of remember feeling like it was a little bit, um, I don't want to say unfocused, but maybe 2012 Matt did think it was unfocused because he was an idiot, but, uh, it felt like it was missing something. Like I, like I remember thinking like it needs like a central character to follow throughout it. Cause it's kind of, I don't want to say it's vig uh, vignettes throughout the movie, but it is very much an ensemble piece where the members of the ensemble are kind of almost always independent of each other. So, um, it is, maybe that's not even what an ensemble is, <laughs> like an ensemble cast where no one is the, really the star of it it's just uh yeah and, and it's kind of just all interconnected storylines and everything while uh millions of people are dying in the movie so uh that was my impression of it when i first saw it and i felt like it was missing something there um this time around and again the caveat that i might that it might be because of the world that we're in today with uh the coronavirus and everything but as the kids say, uh, this hit a little different. Um, so, uh, Contagion, I was really taken with it this time around. Um, I rated it four stars on Letterboxd. Um, 
the fact that it doesn't have like a central character that takes up all the screen time or that interconnects all the stories or anything uh, worked so much in its favor this time around for me. Basically, what I felt was that this movie was just its sole purpose is to chronicle what the world would be like in this event. And having lived in a very small or currently living in a very small um, type of event like this or, or small version of this type of event, uh, it is right on the money. Like it is so eerie just how authentic it feels to our situation today. Um, it's just, it's, it's so, it's so impressive. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really strong. Um, as a movie, it's like, it's well done. Steven Soderbergh, I'm a little hit or miss with his movies and everything, especially since he started doing like his, like the shooting in on iPhones and stuff, which works sometimes. Like I liked Unsane quite a bit. Um, but I just, I have some issues with, well, I, I don't know even know if I'd say issues. I, Really, I don't think I really ever seek out his movies. Um, but Contagion, by the way, I, like I said, it's not available to rent. It's available on Cinemax or, oh my God, this is like, it's almost midnight. I need to stop this recording. <laughs> um, no, it is available to stream on Cinemax. If you have the add on subscription to Amazon Prime or Cinemax, whatever. Um, I rented it on Google Play. Um, so yeah, I, don't know how much I paid. Like, I think it's like $4 to rent, but, um, and this may be true for a lot of people, but if you go onto Google play, um, what I like, what happened to me was it popped up and said like, Oh, you have like for a limited time, rent anything, uh, on Google play for a dollar, like a dollar 49. So check Google play, uh, if you want a cheap rental. Um, so like I said, the, the, the movie's really well done in 2012. Like I said, I took issue with the lack of a central character, uh, to follow along throughout the, throughout the plot of the film. But man, the way that like revisiting it now, like there is such a fly on the wall, like a a fly on the wall aspect to it. Like you are just, you are just a passive observer to all the night, I don't even want to say chaos, like to all, everything that's going on in the movie. And it's not so much like it is chaotic because it is very methodical. It is very procedure driven and there are chaotic moments, of course, but it takes a back seat. It's not, uh, it's not used much, <laughs> much, uh, uh, the opposite of, outbreak in 1995 this movie does not play up the drama of anything um even jude law's character jude law is uh, jude law plays a um blogger who is like kind of pushing up pushing against the cdc's work and uh the who and everything like like he's like it's uh i think his website in the movie is truth serum now um he is like a conspiracy theorist and everything and i mean <laughs> living in i like i don't know how i don't know how prevalent alex jones was in 2011 for the love of god fuck that guy but um he like he is like a very 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 uh, toned down Alex Jones. Um, and it, it, like, he is a destructive force to, for the, for the world, really. 
But the movie doesn't present him like that. It doesn't present him as that because in that adds to the kind of fly on the wall thing, uh, the fly on the wall aspect of it. Um, he's just doing what he does and the public's reaction to it is what the public's reaction to it would be or could be. And it's not played to like a malevolent intent or, or, uh, like just a cruel thing. Um, it's just played very straight. Like he has his motivations and everything. He does his thing and it's just, it's, we're there to infer or imply or to, um, interpret it any way we want to. Um, I will say that there is, I mean, technically Lawrence Fishburne is kind of the lead of the movie. Um, he's the character where several characters kind of intersect with him, but, and he does a, he does a great job. I just recently rewatched the matrix. So that was a nice treat to see him again, man. He's great. He's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling cause I don't know what, like what thing to grasp in the movie, the authenticity of it. I'll start there. I'll continue there. I'm running on fumes. So I'm going to have to end this episode quickly cause I actually do have to go into the home office tomorrow. Um, Anyway, uh, the movie, the way it depicts the metho- the methodology and everything is, is really uh, compelling. Like, it is compelling. It is the antithesis of Outbreak from 1995. I'll say that much, um, gladly. Um, yeah, it, there, there are a couple of jumps here and there that I felt like, I mean, I, like, just the, like I said, the authenticity and the authentic nature of this movie, I could watch like another hour of this movie, like just, just going into even more detail about like, 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 uh, what's going on and, and, and like what steps are taken to try to contain it or prevent it or understand it. Um, just, I, I really appreciate the procedure and the mythology of it, methodology of it, I should say. Um, just really, really strong. So, yeah, so that's Contagion. Good performances all around. Um, there's a subplot with Matt Damon and his daughter that his daughter has like a boyfriend that he's keeping him away from. He's keeping her away from, which is fine. Like it works well, but it also just kind of, I don't know, it doesn't really, uh, that, that one, that subplot felt a little bit like, uh, like it was trying to hit a certain demographic or, or hit a certain, quadrant for the audience um let's see i was i had one other point that i was gonna make but i can't remember um yeah so that's my spotlight screening of the contagion it's available to rent on on devices everywhere um all the platforms and everything i think it's four dollars to rent um like i said i went on google play and i got that credit so i was like a dollar 49 to rent it so check that um yeah, so I I think I am out of steam here. Like this was a a fun first episode here. <laughs> um support us on Patreon if you can. Uh patreon.com/obsessiveviewer. Like I said, $1 gets you access to an RSS feed, $5 gets you access to that RSS feed and access to video uh reactions and everything. I posted a uh, lengthy, like 18 minute video of me just rambling about working from home. And, and I eventually got to talking about crawl as well. Um, so check that out and everything. Um, I'm going to do more of those as this self-isolation takes hold. Uh, so yeah, so that was day one of the COVID-19 
Film Festival hosted by ObsessiveViewer.com. Uh, first and for the love of God, hopefully last ever COVID-19 Film Festival. Um, let me know what you think of this concept and everything. Um, I don't know what's next. Uh, cause I, like I said, I have to work in the home office tomorrow. So that's going to take up a few hours of the day. So I won't be able to watch as much thing, as many things. Um, but what I think I might do is uh, do the next installment of these episodes after like this weekend. Uh, cause I'll do weekdays and then like have uh, episode, the next episode of this installment be episodes two or days two and three of the COVID-19 film festival, uh, which both of those days should be, uh, programmed by tiny and by Mike, uh, each day individually. So we'll see. Um, Oh crap, I had another thought and I completely lost it. I, I knew what it was. It was really important. Oh, in addition to all that, I think what I might try to do is post some commentary tracks on the RSS feed for Patreon. So be on the lookout for that. Like I said, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Uh, just pledge a dollar per month. Uh, it'll charge you immediately for the dollar. Um, and then you get access to everything just right out of the gate. So, um, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and everything. Fortunately, I have a job. I'm still employed and everything during this. So it's not like I'm hurting for money, but it's always nice to, to get support if you guys can spare it. So that'll do it for this, uh, very unique episode of uh, the obsessive viewer podcast. And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed me rambling and everything. Stay tuned for the pre-recorded outro and also a clip from, um, probably my vlog from, uh, last night in setting up all my working from home stuff. So enjoy that. And we'll see you next time with, uh, days two and three of the first ever and hopefully last ever COVID-19 film festival presented by obsessiveviewer.com. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time. And now here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed to hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content. Go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. First of all, what I'm hoping to do here for Patreon, for you guys who are paying us $5 a month uh, for this privilege of seeing my face and seeing me stutter through unprepared statements and, and, and videos, um, while, and <laughs> getting a front row seat to my shitty posture. Jesus. Anyway. Um, the Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. And follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Feckus and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. 
For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!